Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The biggest takeaway from the Pentagon briefing is that the Russian forces really did not make any appreciable progress this week, and especially when it comes to Putin's goal of taking the capital. We just learned that 40-mile convoy is, in fact, mostly a resupply convoy of fuel trucks and other supplies, not tanks. It remains stuck, but this also raises the question as to where the columns of tanks that were supposed to cross from Belarus and make a dash to surround the capital went. Russia is taking far more casualties than expected interesting stuff and um uh you know relevant to discussion but if i'm a ukrainian in an apartment building with missiles coming down the whole they're bogged down narrative is not that interesting me at the time sure yeah it's a complex situation that's absolutely true but from the perspective of military planners and and military leaders in europe and in the united states for that matter this is a really really interesting set of developments to discuss that dr jeff mccausland joins us jeff is a cbs news military consultant founder and ceo of diamond six leadership and strategy llc senior fellow at the stockdale center for ethical leadership at the naval academy among other things uh dr mccausland how are you sir Doing very well, thank you. Terrific. So uh, as you've watched the events unfold over the last week and a half or so, what are your impressions of the Russian military, and what do you make of it? Well, I think that we all are just astonished about how poorly the Russians have, in fact, performed. You know, oftentimes we seem to kind of make the Russians about 10 feet tall, and then we suddenly found they're about 5 feet 6. This is in terms of their ability to coordinate a major offensive operation, which takes enormous coordination. They seem to be unwilling or unable to do that with effective command and control. They clearly have not put in place sufficient logistics for this type of an offensive. We find vehicles running out of fuel. We find soldiers using uh, dried rations that went out of date 20 years ago, not being fed. I'm sure we're seeing issues on the Russian side in terms of ammunition and water resupply. We know their medical network is not anywhere close to being able to manage the casualty rates that they're suffering. So they made an assumption that this was going to be quick and over in a couple of days with very little fighting. Now they're finding that that's not true. And we have an old saying when I was in the military that strategy and tactics is for amateurs. Statement is for professionals. But beyond that, we've also seen a breakdown, I think, in leadership and morale of the Russian forces, about a third of which are draftees. And many of these young guys seem to be bewildered. Many of them, when captured, don't even know where they're at to understand why they're at war with the Ukraine, again, poorly trained and poorly motivated, underscored by that 40-mile convoy we've all been watching on our TV, which just shows just how astonishing poor they've done. And in the face of that, the other surprise, of course, has been how well the Ukrainians have done, proving that old adage by Napoleon Bonaparte some two centuries ago, that the moral is the physical, it's three is the one. Right, Jeff. Uh, Yeah. With apologies, your phone glitched out as you were uh, talking about uh, strategy and tactics or for amateurs. Could you restate that for us? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm traveling here, trying to get to an uh, In the Army, that strategy and tactics is for amateurs, and logistics and sustainment is for. And the Russians have failed to create a logistics network that consists of armor heavy advance that they were planning, and they further assumed they would only need a couple of days they found that's untrue and they're faced by the ukrainians who clearly are fighting to defend their country 
proving that again, that saying by Napoleon, that more, the moral is the physical, is three is the one. So should we have start to have hope at this point? I mean, because it, it seemed like the, the, the feeling was a week ago that, look, ultimately Russia is going to prevail. They're going to take the capital, and then it's going to be a long slog, and we need to, you know, arm the Ukraines, and it'll be an insurgency. That's Everybody seemed to be in agreement on that about a week ago. Has uh, the mood changed on that, that maybe the Ukrainians will, along with us, you know, slipping in uh, supplies and everything through the back door, might keep Kiev from falling? Don't forget, Joseph Stalin once said, quantity has a quality all its own. Mm. What the Russians are doing now, having failed to achieve surprise, having failed to achieve speed, two primary tenets of Russian military doctrine, they're revoting, or revoking, or resorting to the use of mass, mass translated into more people, more equipment, uh, but more artillery, rockets, missiles, and aerial bombing. And what they're going to try to do is not only destroy the Ukrainian military from the air, but crush the willpower of the Ukrainian people, and they may just and they may just grind this out as they grinded it out in Chechnya in the 1990s, as they did in Idlib and Aleppo in Syria, and so they still outnumber the Ukrainians in every category of military equipment that you can possibly imagine. So that might occur. The only question is, can the Russians sustain this logistically? But more importantly, can they sustain this popularly in Russia? Can they sustain this amongst the elites in Russia? Or do the elites around Vladimir Putin start to say, you know, this this really is far beyond what we imagine, and we need a change of direction? I don't see Putin himself making that change, absent internal influence from those around him, oligarchs, senior military, or perhaps influence from the Chinese. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland on the line. Jeff, uh, diplomat, former diplomat, Russian diplomat Andrei Kosyarev suggested in a Twitter post that we read yesterday that uh, a lot of the problem here is that the Kremlin spent the last 20 years trying to monetize, uh, modern, I'm sorry, modernize its military, but much of that budget was uh, siphoned off and spent on mega yachts and that sort of thing by the uh, the oligarchs. Do you buy that explanation, at least partially? Yeah, partially. And it's, isn't that amazing? I mean, Kozarev was a real player. He was foreign minister of the Russian Federation back in the 1990s. Can you imagine a secretary of state of the United States making the same kind of comment about the U.S. military? That's a pretty stunning comment coming from a guy like Kozarev, and probably is largely true. That being said, the Russians have modernized their force to a degree. They're certainly a far superior military force than they were when they entered Georgia. In 2000, embarrassment for the Russians, or even though they were able to capture two provinces from the Georgians, but it, I think underscores the problem. This autocracy yeah. uh, is undermining their ability to prosecute warfare. Jeff McCausland, CBS uh, News military analyst. Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, that one particular quote, uh, apparently God was just not intent on us hearing the end of that because we took two shots at it. It it almost became like that uh, Wheel of Fortune puzzle where you had to fill in the blanks and and solve the the puzzle. And also, uh, no offense to our five-foot-six-inch listeners who can have full and productive lives. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You're no ten-footer, but God loves you. And you can have, exactly, a full and productive life. (laughs) Um... I was going to ask him, but our connection was bad. Just know where he is on the whole no-fly zone. 
uh, that I think every military person I've heard from is is staunchly against, but the policymakers who we have a civilian controlled military, mm-hmm. the policymakers are definitely moving that direction, and I'm not sure Joe Biden has any philosophies other than uh, try to get reelected or something. I don't know. But... Right, right. Well, if uh, let me take a shot at that no fly zone. The thing to remember about the no. That the the nation must come together for the Russians enact their, which is known around the world. Joe is turning his microphone off on purpose for comedic effect. <laughs> if you were, if you were wondering, eh, just trying to lighten the mood. So much horror! Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! You, you you watch the videos of those people leaving their homes, and just like I was talking about before this thing started, one of the reasons it's hitting the Western world the way it is, is because they look like us, they live like us, and we can picture ourselves being in that situation. And as Fareed Zakaria said on CNN yesterday, it's not because they're white. It's just everything about them relates to our lifestyles. It, it just triggers a part of your brain where, oh, my God, that could be me. That looks exactly like the street in the city I work in being bombed. Those are the clothes my wife and kids wear running to the train to try to get out of the country before they're killed. Right. And they're a country that has embraced democracy. It's it's a, an uneven slog, certainly emerging from the shadow of the Soviet Union, as all f- former Soviet republics have struggled. And there's been plenty of, of corruption and evil in Ukraine. We're more than aware of that. But yes, they are much more of Europe than they are of some uh, strange and difficult to understand set of laws and morals and traditions and views of government. No, 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 no. They They get it. They get what it's supposed to be and they're aspiring to that and and there is clearly a nearly universal uh, urge on the behalf of the rest of the developed world to help them and to help them resist the onslaught of of an oppressor but god you got to think a military that is very poorly equipped and very poorly motivated like completely lied to when they get to the country and say what the hell are we even doing here i mean that's beyond lack of motivation that's like counter um uh well right and you remember that video that i was dictating the closed caption of uh yesterday of the captured russian soldier talking about we are so completely misinformed uh, we had no idea what's going on here i had no idea it's no excuse but you know and he pointed out and this was very moving he said my grandpa fought fought against the invaders and here i'm the death squad and it turns out that guy was a commander he was a pretty high-ranking guy which would explain his paw his poise and his understanding of the greater issues another russian general killed yesterday that's two in a week good glad to hear it that stalin quote was pretty good i'll remember that at some point quantity is its own quality has its own quality that's true yeah we'll see although a nimble, incredibly motivated insurgency against a huge, unmotivated force, poorly equipped. It sounds like a shooting gallery to me. I, it's the, the citizens of Ukraine, the poor innocents, the civilians who will suffer Putin's anger. And that is disgusting and unforgivable. Hey, did you see Saturday Night Live 
and Kate McKinnon during the news segment blasting that new law down in Florida about not being able to use the word gay. Well, it's not exactly accurate as to uh, not even what is close as to what is happening in Florida. Ron DeSantis, the governor down there, taking on the media yesterday. It's pretty interesting if you haven't been following the story. Among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I'm not following the baseball strike. Joe is. The president of the Yankees is afraid the entire season is going to be lost. I don't know if that's just the sort of thing an owner says as pressure or if he actually believes that. Yeah, it could be either one. I know that uh, the, there's a lot of bad blood between the sides at this point, and, and the best and final offer of the owners is nowhere near acceptable to the players and vice versa. At least that's what they're saying. I just would say in the modern era of so many other entertainment options, I would not mess around with uh, your built-in audience for anybody, for any, for whatever you are. Right. we got other things we can do, and we'll very quickly forget about the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's handy that I haven't been following this story, I think. I've just heard little bits about it through the mainstream media, about some law down in Florida about saying the word gay or something. And then I saw Saturday Night Live, Kate McKinnon, actually did a guest spot during the news as herself, because she's gay. Um, uh, and so what I took from it is that the uh, the governor has outlawed the word gay in all schools in Florida, which seemed a little extreme um, as presented uh, on Saturday Night Live. Uh, here's the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, asking a question from the media, or answering a question from the media yesterday. Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. It says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and. Um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. Oh, okay, so it's pre-K through third grade only. No okay. teaching about gender bending this and, and, and who has sex with whom and the different variations thereof until they're six out of third grade. Yeah. For six-year-olds. So, uh, okay, well, that's a different thing than I, barely paying attention to the story, had been led to believe. Oh, yeah, Saturday Night Live beat the hell out of that straw man. I mean, he didn't have a chance. Lefts and rights, kicks to the, his straw groin. Just took oh, yeah. him down. Absolutely set up the right and Republicans and Ron DeSantis in particular, because I think Democrats are worried that he's going to be the next president. Um, uh, I absolutely uh, uh, painted him as something it's just not the case. Yeah. That happened. So what's interesting to me is uh, most stories I am pretty up on. 
for whatever reason, I've been so into Ukraine and everything like that. I never read paragraph two on that story. The the whole don't say gay in Florida thing. That's the left's uh, name for the bill. Um, and it's interesting sometimes to kind of do that experiment to see the way the world receives a news story. <laughs> and if you were just kind of receiving it, like just, you know, just kind of not paying that close of attention, you're completely misled. And I'm sure that's generally the case on most stories that you're completely wrong about what's happening unless you do read like the second through 15th paragraph from about nine different sources right yeah i had a conversation of that sort with a friend the other day he was saying where do you go for news i said i read everything i can get a hold of all day long (laughs) which is not really a practical solution for most normal people no no it's not oh speaking story speaking of stories that uh, you've had a, a a completely yeah, misguided representation of. Here's a headline from NPR. Just came out, I think, it's not long ago. Top researcher says it's time to rethink our entire approach to preschool. In other words, pre-K doesn't work. No, and there there is almost nobody out there that says pre-K has educational benefits. I haven't come across it anywhere, ever. So I shouldn't even say almost. I'm I'm unaware of it. Uh, anybody who's got a positive view of it, yet it continues to be a talking point for so many people. Universal right. pre-K. If, if you want to make the argument for government-funded preschool or government-funded child care, I should say. That's what it is. Yeah, Make that argument because that's all it is. Yeah. Uh, if you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The U.S. and its European allies are now discussing banning imports of Russian oil. Take that, Putin. We're not going to buy our gas from a war criminal. We're going to buy it from the good guys, Saudi Arabia. (laughs) But it's going to cost. Since the invasion, oil prices have skyrocketed. Today, the average gas price in America hit an all-time record high of over $4 per gallon. Okay. That stings, but a clean conscience is worth a buck or two. Hell, I'll pay $15 a gallon because I drive a Tesla. Yeah, it's funny. My uh, Tesla's in the shop, so I'm driving (laughs) driving my gas-powered car when gas hits its all-time high, which is a little misleading. They they never adjust for inflation on this stuff, but we'll be at the all-time high adjusted for inflation any day now. Trust me. We're at 417 yesterday nationwide, breaking the previous record of 411 from 2008. Adjusted for inflation, we're probably no, not there, but like I mentioned, um, there are areas in L.A. where if you have to buy the premium, it's over $7. Oh. Los Angeles crumbling. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How, now, Michael, this is an inside question. Yeah. So oftentimes, oftentimes something comes up, and I think, how do we not have that clip handy? But on this one, I mentioned L.A. You didn't know I was going to talk about this. I mentioned L.A. Ram- randomly, and you have... I had it on the wall. and so Los yeah, Angeles is together, crumbling yeah. immediately ready to go. Oh, interesting. Uh, $7 gas is pretty expensive. I don't know where gas is headed, but Bloomberg is reporting just a little bit ago that Biden is set to ban imports on Russian oil, so that is going to happen. 
Now, as far as the whole, I, I just I hear this pushback from people on. Uh, well, they'll just sell it to the Chinese. So what good does that do or this or that? I, I don't. How about we just have the uh, uh, rule that we're not going to buy oil from a country we're at war with at the time? It just seems like a good br- blanket rule, no matter how it shakes out. Yeah, I hear that. I get it. Um, and by the way, here's the latest: two million people have now left Ukraine in not quite two weeks since yeah. the start of the Russian invasion. That's roughly five percent of the population in about two weeks left the country. Wow, wow, just astounding. And, you know, there's a limit to how many refugees Poland can sure. can absorb. I, uh, I know there's a great deal of international help pouring in, <clears throat> and a lot of folks around the world supporting uh, the refugees, but it's still yeah, uh, it's an amazing crisis. And I wasn't planning to get off on this tangent, but this discussion, you know, I probably spend too much time on Twitter. Twitter's a good place to get uh, information if you're careful, but you can also be misled about the national conversation by the craziest people in America. And I don't know how many people actually are talking about this. It's a big deal on Twitter on the on the way these refugees are being treated because they're white versus the Let's not pretend that whatever wh- whoever you are anywhere in the world that you're not just going to automatically be more predisposed to be welcoming to people who look and talk and dress and eat like you. And think like you. And think like you, then you are people that are completely different than you, regardless of skin color. Why is it so hard for people to admit? Well, to, to not recognize that is the most unicornian sort of, of unrealistic view of, of the world. Culture matters. The, the, how, how a society functions and the fact that it does function matters. And importing a large number of people from a completely different uh, uh, religious, political, uh, moral, ethical uh, framework is really, really difficult. Of course it would be. And any anybody who's a realist knows that. That's not to say that any race or, or creed or color, whatever creed is, is, uh, is inferior or ought to be hated or feared or something like that. But it is, you know, I used the example the other day. If Judy and I were going to take in an exchange student for for uh, six months, set them to work, from, get your lawn mowed, car washed. Oh yeah. oh yeah, there will be demands certainly. Uh, you know, so this is the way we do it in America. Everybody your age washes the car and mows the lawn. It's an American tradition. Oh yeah, it's a it's a cherished part of childhood here in America. No, but uh, a student from Indiana would be effortless. A student from France would be uh, challenging. A student, say, from sub-Saharan Africa, Africa, who spoke almost no English, would be extremely challenging. It's not to say we wouldn't do it, but in large, large numbers, it's extremely challenging for school systems and, and societies and the police and whatever. So anyway, yeah, that's an idiotic notion. Um, you know, I've got some more stuff on education, but we're a little a bit up against the clock. Um, you know, there's more really interesting stuff on energy. You up for that? Uh, yeah, I think as g- gas is going to go up a lot, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's already started and it has a hell of a long way to go. Yeah, I think we're I think everybody in America is going to see numbers they've never seen before. And for some reason, round numbers hit as hard, you know, when it crosses from four to five or five to six. Um, but I, I, that's going to be a lot of the conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I have no prediction on this i have no idea how long the national interest 
and rooting for Ukraine and, and, and everything will last in the face of $5.5 gas. It's difficult to predict the movements of the American herd, which is why we're here to document it for you. Let's start with Britt Hume, clip 42, Michael. And Jen Psaki, who's clever, uh, has a lot of glib answers about why that's not happening or how we're doing as much as we can or how it wouldn't make any difference if we did a little more or whatever. But the one thing you will not hear her say is that this administration is doing everything it can to increase America's energy production. And until you hear her say that, we'll know they're not doing it. Uh, And if we did, it could make a difference, not only to us, but to our allies who could use uh, energy exported from here. And here's the aforementioned glib redhead herself in 43. The president's message is that he is going to do everything we can, everything he can, to reduce the impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank. I dated a glib redhead years ago. They're the (laughs) worst. Glib redheads. So glib. (laughs) So very glib. But okay, so as Brett Hume pointed out, and Jen Psaki, in effect, uh, confirmed increased production is completely off the table. Here's the solution. Cute little Secretary of Transportation, Pete Butt Edge 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 Edge, they say, 45. Clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so the people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. And now I'm going to get on my unicorn and ride back to Chocolateville. Um, After charging my unicorn, it's an electric unicorn. (laughs) As I mentioned last week, I've been saying this for years. I'm a guy who drives an electric car, by the way. I've been saying this for years. The electric car thing is so far from making a dent in auto transportation, it shouldn't even be talked about. It's 2% of car sales, and that was an all-time record last year. Um, so yeah, that's what it's going to be. I was watching, I shot my television yesterday. Elvis, wow. Elvis style. So I got to go to Best Buy today and get a new TV. Totally and normal. I've also got a, uh, a firearms felony that I've got to, uh, deal with. But, um, cause I'm inside city limits. Um, what was that? Shot my television. Ah, oh, these yeah. Things come and go. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm used to living in the country where you can fire your gun anytime. I forgot. I got neighbors now. At your appliances. <laughs> and so folks, I was watching. I, folks, I have no idea. So I, I have no idea. I was watching CNN, and uh, they're talking about this story, and the guest they had on said, well, what we're seeing now is the ramifications, are the ramifications of Republican policy for years in fighting green energy. If we had gone stronger toward renewable energy, we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, that's it. That's it. If we'd have been bigger on wind and electricity, we wouldn't be in this position, as opposed to what the Republicans actually want to do, which is expand all where we already are as the world's number one oil producer to the fact that we can produce our own energy completely and we don't rely on anyone for any oil at all we have the capability to not have to buy any oil from anyone saudi arabia venezuela russia or freaking anybody Meanwhile, investing like crazy in renewables and sure. doing the R&D it's going to take to to bring effective solutions to the table. The, what you see around you now, the solar and the batteries and the, and the windmills and the rest of it, they're good. They're a step forward. They are not the the answer. The, they are not the, the wonderful future of green energy. The technology is not good enough. Anybody who studies this for 10 minutes understands that we can't get even close 
to uh, you know the median power use. Uh, never mind peak usage. We we'd be a third world country. We'd be uh, you know uh, Venezuela. We'd have power twelve hours a day on a good day if we were to fall back on the current technology. We need more R and D. Well, we're going to end up in electric cars. As a guy who drives one and, and and is amazed at how handy it is, that that's where we're headed. But it's going to be a while. It is absolutely going to be a while. So in the meantime, since the world runs on oil, how about we produce our, produce our own for crying out freaking loud? E- e- Elon Musk tweeting out over the weekend, he said, this is bad for my business, but we need to drill for more oil in this country. Wow. Wow. And we need to build some nuclear power plants to power those electric cars. Right. Electricity's got to come from somewhere. Interesting. Unicorns only fart so much. There are only so many cubic liters of unicorn flatulence that you can harness for their magical power. What is your guess on the American appetite for... See, I live in California, so my numbers are way off. Like, when I see the the, the national average hit four seventeen, a record, I think, where do I find $4.17? There'd be a line 10 miles long in California if there's any gas that costs that. Don't be stupid. Drive to Oklahoma, fill up, drive home. <laughs> but uh, say it hits $5, $5.5 nationwide. What's the American feeling on that? How long do we support everything going on in Ukraine and not buying Russian oil and whatever? Well, it depends if they if if we the people view Putin as the problem, then our appetite will last for a long time. If we view the the real issue as our response to Putin, then much less. Like I said, it's difficult to predict the herd. I have a feeling we're in in it for the long haul. You have a comment, Michael? Yeah. How high does uh, gas prices have to get before people are willing to go to public transportation? Before you <laughs> that, say, oh, that, "Okay, I'll take the bus." Th- do you know? I don't know if you remember math. It's like a squiggly line with a dot above it and then a dot below it. It's called infinity. Infinite. There is no number that can make people take public transportation. Uh, That's almost true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You would cancel your cable. You would cancel all sorts of stuff. You You would would sell. You'd sell whatever car you drive and get a much smaller car that you hate. But you would go to great lengths before people are going to actually start using public transportation. Yeah. I know Boot Edge Edge doesn't believe that, but it's true. Now everybody Blue wants. Edge, edge. Everybody really wants to ride a train and a bus with a bunch of scary people. <laughs> so, on the topic of education, because we'll get back to Ukraine next hour, uh, who should be in charge of deciding what your kids learn in school? According to Terry McAuliffe, and it got his hiney booted out of the governor's mansion in Virginia. Certainly not parents. Well. Parents are exactly the answer to that question. The community as a whole. Why? I came across a really great think piece on it. I think you'll be persuaded and get a little more confidence in your point of view. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. TikTok just announced that users in the country can no longer post videos. Right now, Tom from MySpace is like, well, 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 look who came crawling back. Yeah, huh. Russia doesn't have, doesn't have Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Pornhub, or Netflix, any of those. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting to see all these corporations come together opposing the Russian aggression. More on that to come next hour. If you happen to not get next hour and you'd like to dig it later, grab it via podcast. A couple of things about education I thought you might find interesting. Uh, one very troubling and one empowering. Uh, great piece by Anna Nordberg writing for the San Francisco Chronicle of all places, the liberal Chironicle. <clears throat> And she talks about how last December, the halfwit governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, published a children's book about his struggle with dyslexia, which is certainly no joke. It's it's a difficult condition to overcome. And he has been very brave in overcoming it and being honest about it and sharing his experience with kids. And I think it's a great thing. And I congratulate Gavin for doing that. Well done, sir. Um, and, but then Anna writes, but as someone who's had to learn more about the science of reading than I ever expected... Uh, I hope the, I'm sorry, I should explain, she's a parent of a kid who struggles mm. with dyslexia. Um, as someone who's had to learn more about the science of reading than I ever expected, I hope the governor will take a hard look at how we're, we are teaching all kids to read in California because we are failing them. Wait, do not tune out non-Californians. I did a little digging, and this applies to so many states around the country. It is tragic, and parents, you're going to recognize some of this terminology. Anna Nordberg mentions California's reading scores are dismal. Listen to this. 68% of fourth graders read below grade level. 68%. What? Now, unless the grade level reading standards are wildly unrealistic. How, when's, the last, when's the last time we had any standards that were too high in schools? I know. I threw that out there just to be intellectually intellectually thorough. But, yeah, that's a ridiculous idea. This is the result of the disastrous decision in the 1980s for the state to embrace whole language. That's their way of teaching uh, reading. The idea that children should learn to recognize words and phrases through Uh context, guessing, and memorization. Yeah, so is that the, the, the whole, you take the word in as a whole as opposed to sounding an out thing? Yes, correct. Phonics is wrong. Phonics is yesterday. Phonics is oppressive. Get rid of it. Yeah, we've been, we, you know, that's the way my kids learn to read, and they both uh, do pretty well, thank goodness. But I wondered about that, that they don't do, like, if you look at the word sheep, it's not the shh sound and then the two E's together and E, peep. You don't do it that way. You're just supposed to take the whole word in at once. Yeah, which was, and this is one of my main points. Well, let me finish, let me finish a little data quickly, um, and then we'll get to a little more analysis, but... Evidence shows, and there's a lot of it. I wish I had time to give it to y'all. Evidence shows the whole language approach has left millions of kids behind. What children actually need to do is to be taught how to decode or sound out words, a phonics-based approach called structured literacy that requires explicit instruction and works with all students, all students, including those with learning disabilities and second language learners. Whose MF and idea was it to change things that worked? Math worked fine. Math pisses me off. I can't figure out the damn math. Makes me so mad. Um, but who decided that the way everybody learned to read and do math was wrong? What was wrong with it? You know, I wish we had more time for this. Here, I'm going to skip to the main point, because she mentions the debate over whether children should be taught to read through whole language, uh, which was rebranded as balanced literacy in the 90s, or phonics became known as the reading wars, and it became like masks or no masks. It became a political war. One of my main points is there are fads in education happens all the time if you are a phd in education and you want to be hailed as a hero in your field 
The last thing you can do is say, hey, what we've doing, we've been doing for the last 350 years works great. We got to stick with it. Have the kids learn the letters and the sounds, sound things out, learn to read, give them fun reading material, blah, 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 learn to love reading. Better. No, you've got to come up with something new and innovative, and you've got to start a new craze in education, which is why we go down the garden path on these things, like the, the stupid, what's they called? The, uh, it's funny, we hadn't talked about it for a while, the new uh, system of math and all. Common core math? Common core math, that's right. Um, oh, and God, some it's people are so fans of it. And it works for some kids. But the idea that it should be the blanket approach for all kids is a fad. It's a fashion. It's a craze. Man, I'm a math guy, and I don't get it. So uh, I'd love to get more into depth on that. Um, uh, The other thing I want to talk about was this article I came across by Moshe Krakowski uh, that he published at Quillette. um, Talking about Terry McAuliffe and, and the parents shouldn't be telling people what they should learn in school and the rest of it. And, and we will get into this more, I don't know, either next hour or, or tomorrow. He goes into the history of education and different norms around the world, what different countries teach. What is taught in schools varies widely. It's an entirely, a, it's the question your society must answer. What is most useful? What do kids need to know to be productive and happy citizens? The idea that professional educators decide that is insane. They have a very, very narrow view of what education should do. They're the last people to ask. I want to talk more about that. New York Times pulling out of Russia? Interesting story. Armstrong and Getty.